Our scripture reading today is taken from Acts chapter 7, and it's a long reading once again, verse 1 through 60. And our sermon today is entitled, The Book of Acts, The First Martyr. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his words. And the high priest said to Stephen, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his affliction and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him, over, made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from his sons of Hamar and Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Father's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they, did not, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? 
At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent us both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside in their hearts. They turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this, Moses, who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered the sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Raphan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent in the wilderness, just as, he, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that has been seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David. Who, bought, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. A very long reading of scripture this morning. And I pray that the Lord blessed you in hearing one of the greatest speeches ever written by a man. Stephen was a deacon, not an apostle, not even an elder, but a deacon. He was called by the people to serve those who, well, the widows who were not receiving their daily allotment of food. His task was to make sure that equity was happening amongst the church people. Everyone was getting their fair share of what the Lord had provided for the church. In today's day, when we think of deacon, we think of someone who can fix the bathroom toilet. But when we look at Stephen, we do not see that, do we? A deacon is a man who knows the Lord intimately and a man with confidence in knowing his Lord and his Savior. Stephen's speech mimics what we've seen in the speeches before by Peter in that He simply draws out the history of what God has been doing. He talks about the beginning with Abraham and talks about Moses, talks about the Israelites coming out of Egypt to be saved. He talked about the fact that there would be a prophet one day like Moses but even greater. And that this prophet was Christ himself. The people who were his audience, the Jewish Christians, all knew the history, but they did not know the significance. The significance of Abraham, the significance of Moses, was that one day, the perfect Abraham, the perfect Moses would appear, who would be able to speak with authority and truthfulness, who would be able to speak in such a way that the words of salvation 
will be heard by all people in all the world. Stephen accuses them. You do not hear and understand the history of what God has done. You are a stubborn or a stiff-necked people. But I'm here to tell you, it is Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ. He is the great prophet, the great Savior, who has come to bring salvation to all. I implore you, brothers and sisters, to realize and to acknowledge that all of biblical history points to Christ himself. That when we read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, when we read Numbers and Deuteronomy, when we read all the way through the prophets, And we ask ourselves the questions, what is going on? Why is Israel going through persecution? Why is Israel being so stubborn? Why is God saving them? The answer to that is to prepare the Israelite nation for Jesus himself. But there's more to it than that as well. I implore all of you, you who know Christ, to look at your own lives as well. Your parents might interpret your life differently than you interpret your life. Their timeline for you could be your birth, Harvard, doctor. Nothing in between. (laughs) And as you got older, and those of you who are, well, all of you who are older, you look back and you interpret your timeline very differently. And you look at different events that have shaped you more than your parents would. We all have a way of looking at our history that suits our own heart and our own sense of identity. The Israelites were doing the same thing with the Old Testament. But God wants you to know that your life and everything that has happened God has orchestrated for only one purpose, that you may know Christ. Whether that's in joy, whether that's in challenges, whether that's in suffering. But there's only one goal in your life. And we have the joy as God's people, to look at our history, to look at our present situation and say to God, God, thank you that in the midst of my life, what you have given me, Jesus, you reign. 
this was the lesson that the Israelites needed to know. And the historical truth was that Christ is, was the one who is the fulfillment of all things. And for us as God's people, likewise, find yourself in the narrative of all of Scripture. Look at your own history. Look at your present. And say to God, thank you. Thank you for the spouse that I married. Thank you for the children that you gave us. Thank you for the parents that I have. Thank you for the church that you've bestowed upon us. Thank you for all the things, for all these good things point to you and you alone. You see, the Israelites did not want to hear that. They had their own take on history. And in so doing, they killed Stephen. You, brothers and sisters, in the light of what God's doing in your own lives, do not stone the Jesus who's loved you, but bow down in holy adoration of all that he's doing for you. Our God is good. Now in this story, we see that Stephen himself being totally and completely taken by the gospel was able to with courage and strength and, and eloquency speak to those around him about the goodness of God. And for many of us, when we see the stoning of Stephen, our hearts are saddened. But we ask ourselves the question, could I ever die for Jesus? Could I ever die for something that I believed in? Now here in the early church, we have God's special pouring out of his spirit. It is a time unlike any other time. But the truth is still there. That it's the love of Christ that compels us to be able to say no to all the things that are behind us. It is the love of Christ that enables us to have joy in Him, no matter what it is that we left behind. It is the joy in knowing that to live is Christ, to die is gain, that enables us to lay our lives down for Christ himself. We need to count our cost as we follow Jesus. For many of you who perhaps are my age or older, you've heard of a man named Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary in Ecuador. And he had this calling from the Lord to go and speak, to preach the gospel, share the gospel with the unreached people there. And all through his college life, he wrote his journals. And in his journals, he loved, he wrote about his love for the Lord and his compulsion to serve God at all costs. 
we know that in his, in his interactions with the people in Ecuador, the Horani people, that he was killed or martyred. But he left a legacy that was unbelievable. For afterwards, his wife and other people went back and many of those people came to know Christ. And there's this one quote that, that is similar to what we hear from Paul himself. He says this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, Jim Elliot, just like Stephen, and just like all the Christians and all the people who were loved by God, who, who came afterwards or came before Jim Elliot, had one thing in common, that there was nothing to lose in this world that the only thing to gain was Christ himself. That he was able to put aside all the worldly things in order to make Christ's name, name magnified. And he was able to, by God's grace and God's mercy, at the time of that meeting, to lay down his life for the good news. Now let me tell you, Jim Elliot did not know that his name would become known in all of missionary history when he did this. He did not know that. All he knew was that he needed to love and obey his Lord. Now I do not know if God is asking you right now to go somewhere and lay down your life. He may. Who are we to say what God wants from us? But one thing I do know is that all of us here in this room must daily take up our cross and die to ourselves to make Christ magnified. And the only way you're going to be able to do that well or do that in a way that's miraculous. Do it in a way that the world will not understand. Do it in a way that does not require months and months of therapy. It's for you to get a vision of how great God's love is for you. And by His Spirit, that can move you. About two or three weeks ago in our newsletter, I had, I had um, put a link on YouTube for a video um, by Rosario Butterfield. I urge you to go watch her testimony on YouTube and watch her other videos as well. Rosario Butterfield, as many of you know already, uh, was an English professor at Syracuse University. But not only was she an English professor, but she was also the professor of queer theory as well. She was an active lesbian in that community. She was even 
so active that she came with all the, the laws and regulations that you probably see here today. She lived with her partner, had a beautiful home, and in many ways was content with who she was. Now, I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but she came to know Christ. And in knowing Christ, her life was flipped upside down. And she shares the story, and she says, I lamented about leaving my former life. And many of you out there might say, that doesn't make sense. Once you come to know Jesus, you cut off everything, you, you move forward. For some of you, perhaps. But for most of you, your story would be very similar. She recounts and says, listen, it was sad in a sense because this is my community. It's the life I had built. This is a home that I had built. This was a life that I, I had built. And I was leaving it. And she talks about how gracious the church was. The church wasn't like, oh, you came to know Jesus? All right, leave everything behind. Let's move forward. Well, Rosario shared how she was going through a process of, of grieving and going through a process of how to die and to live. But she also goes on to share how she, she felt sorry for the people who were left behind, her, her former partner, the home, the life that she had built. But she said something very remarkable. She said, I felt sorry for them more because they were losing me and because I was all they had. But for me, I have Christ to go to. They don't. And because I have Christ, all that I'm dying to, well, I can do it. Because Jesus is my everything. He has saved me. He has brought me to him. I will be with him in glory. For many of us, we look at our past lives, we look at who we are, and we, we can't give it up. And even worse than that, we, we look at it, and there are good things there. Let me, let, me tell, let me say this. There are good things in your past that God is asking you to let go. But you can't. And the reason why you can't is you've forgotten how good Jesus truly is in all things for you. The perfect love, the perfect joy, the perfect future. Dying to self and living for Christ, even laying down your very life for Christ.
we can do, we can do if our love for Jesus, which God has placed in our hearts, is allowed to thrive. That's why it says in Scripture that some of you will have to leave your fathers, your mothers, your homeland to come follow me. But if you follow me, I will multiply your, your, your friends. I will multiply your fellowship. Those are the, the most beautiful verses for those of us who have left many things to come to know Jesus. Because we know that Jesus indeed is our everything. Lastly, many of us are having a hard time just dying to ourselves in our relationships in general. Whether that's fathers towards children, children towards parents, spouses towards one another, bosses, managers towards workers, or, or whatever it may be. God asks of us to die to whatever image or vision of marriage, parenthood, business relationships that we have that is worldly. Go to Jesus and say, Jesus, how, how should I love my family? Jesus, um, how should I love the people in this world? Jesus, tell me and I'll do whatever you, whatever you say I will do. And here's the kicker, brothers and sisters. When you do that, laying down your life for the sake of Jesus is not only suffering, but it's joy. I think one of the things that in our culture today, and even in our Christian culture today, that, that we need to get rid of is that all of Christian life is just suffering. All of Christian life is just sacrifice. And at sacrifice, we go, woe is me, I'm sacrificing this for God. I'm sacrificing what exactly? Are you really going to compare what you're losing to having Christ in your life? Are we really going to say, Lord, I want X, Y, and Z. Jesus, you don't compare it to that. Are we really going to say that? No. So I call upon you, just like Stephen. He saw the heavens open up, and he saw Jesus standing there. He saw that the goal of his salvation was being reached and attained. And I ask you to do the same thing when you need to sacrifice, when you need to love, when you need to suffer. Look at the heavens opening up for you and rejoice. Live a life of joy in the midst of whatever God throws in your way. For indeed our Jesus and Jesus alone 
is good. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, <coughs> we do not know if we'd be like Stephen, called to sacrifice our lives. But we know, Lord, that the church has been built on the blood of martyrs. Lord, we do not know, Lord, if that will be us as well, literally. But we do know, Lord, that we are called to die to ourselves, to carry our own cross. We, like Paul, need to say to live is Christ, but to die is gain. We need to, Lord, look to say that even Jesus did not have a place to rest his, uh, rest his head, and perhaps we won't have a place to rest our head. We know, Lord, that perhaps we will not be as successful as the world is successful, Lord. But all of that does not matter. For all of that, we count as rubbish, as Paul says, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, Lord, instill in us once again by your Spirit to see your grace and your glory in all things. Humble us and teach us to love. A love that is supernatural. A love given by Christ. A love that the world surely does not comprehend. In his name we pray. Amen.